The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Would you pray with me? Um, Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord, your wisdom. God, I ask that um, the teaching today, that we would just grow wiser with it. Um, Lord, I ask that you would be with Scott and his words and... Um, Lord, that we would just feel connected as a community, even in these strange times that we're going through. Lord, that we would together grow um, even when we feel separated. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would just be with your church, and, um, and I ask that you would be with Scott and his words today. And in your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and it is great to see you uh, here on Palm Sunday. And I see you, James. I see you, John. Good morning, boys. Hope that you're listening to your mother and paying attention. I see you. And it's good to see all of you here, and thanks for joining us here. We are so excited that we can come together, and it's a privilege to be here with you and right into your living room or onto your phone in your kitchen or some other room of the house. Maybe you should find a better place to sit. I don't know, but we're really glad that uh, we can be here together and do things this way. You know, Uh, It's good to be with your church family, and it's also good to have so many visitors with us right now. We take a look at and we see that lots of people are tuning in to watch, people from all over the world, actually. And so welcome. Welcome to our our family here. We're really glad that you can join us, and we realize that people are joining for a whole lot of different reasons. Maybe you regularly go to Grace City or First Baptist, and this is your church, and maybe you don't. Maybe you just show up on Easter and Palm Sunday, so you decide to check us out. Maybe you're just scrolling through your Facebook this morning and Right there was the, uh, the screen and you thought you would check us out. We also know that lots of people are having a hard time during this period of our shutdown and quarantine. And uh, whatever your reason is for being here, and uh, we're really glad that you're here. And today, we want to give you a message of hope, something that comes from Jesus, and a way to think about your life. You have this opportunity right now to reconsider a few things and to think about your time with your family or with your kids and mostly your relationship with God. How are you responding during this time? How's it going for you? A lot of us are responding differently. We are working from home for the first time, and for some people that's great, and for other people that's difficult. Uh, You have kids at home, and maybe your spouse is working with you at home. Maybe you have other people in your family living with you or roommates, and it's different. You have different co-workers all of a sudden. You know, my co-workers, uh, they demand recess and some other things that I'm not used to. You got to get in that rhythm. And then, of course, there's the television constantly telling us different things that are going on, and most of it is bad news, and there's some sprinkles of hope here and there, and uh, it's a difficult time. Anyway, we are glad that you're with us. Imagine for a second, though, as you think about this, imagine that the way you're dealing with this 
is in perfect faith and confidence in God. Just imagine for a second that you have this great faith going on during this challenge or maybe some other challenge that's going on in your life right now. Imagine that you're a person whose natural response to things when they go differently is to just fully trust God. And it isn't that you don't have concerns or worries about today, but you naturally are just able to trust God and you recognize He's going to let things work out and you don't worry. Imagine you're the kind of person who has this perfect confidence, not in yourself, but in God and His plan for everything. Imagine the kind of confidence you would have right now during this crisis, if that's you. Now, some people are more like that than others, it turns out. And, you know, sometimes we get bothered by people who uh, seem to have this great confidence in God. And, you know, I think for some of us, what we want to do is we're concerned about them. We're thinking, well, maybe they haven't been paying attention enough to what's going on here. You know, and we want to say, hey, do you watch the news? Have you watched the briefings one day after another? There's a bunch of briefings. There's one in Washington, and then there's one in our state, and then there's one in our county, and one in our city. And uh, you should be watching all of those. And haven't you seen the unemployment numbers? And haven't you been watching the stock market? And don't you check out that map, that big map of the world with all the red dots that are glowing and growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you should have less faith. You should be a lot more concerned about things. I think sometimes we have that approach to things, but imagine your faith is strong anyway. Imagine you are engaged and you are watching those, those uh, televised um, things where they tell us what's going on, and uh, imagine you see those scary maps and those statistics and you still you understand what you need to do, so you put on a mask when you go outside, and you recognize that you should practice social distancing, and you know the importance of that, and you know that it actually makes a difference if you do it, and you give thanks to God that you know to do it and that people are learning to do that. And imagine that you know people who are sick, and maybe you're sick, or you might get sick, or you're worried about that. Maybe someone you know, or maybe even yourself, maybe you're not going to make it. There's a lot of things to be concerned about, and you grieve that, but at the same time, you pray. At the same time, your faith is not hindered. You pray, you check in with your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your family. You give generously. You don't hoard things up and you give away from your abundance of the things. And this is the way you live your life. Imagine having faith like that, fully trusting God, whatever the outcome. Well, you know what? Some people do have a faith that's a lot more like that and others of us struggle, but we wish we had that faith. How can you have that? It all comes down to this. What is your house built on? Your foundation of the house that you're building. I don't mean your structure that you live in, but the house that you're building in your life. Where is your faith for your economics? Do you put your own trust in your ability to handle them? Where do you put your trust when it comes to your education, your skills, your family, your relationships? What is the foundation that you are building your life on? Well, Jesus is going to show us today that when your life is built on the rock, when it is built on Him and His Word, you have a firm foundation to live on, that you have a firm foundation to go through the storms of life, the storm of judgment, and the storm of reality. And it's not just because you subscribe to a certain set of beliefs, but more you've learned something because of those beliefs and the things that you've been taught. You've learned to apply the things that you learn. You have learned to actually take action when you hear a sermon or when you study your Bible or when you have a teaching in your community group or your city group, your small group, whatever it is that you're studying, that you learn that it isn't just to sit around and wonder what that would look like, but you actually take action in your life. You see, when you're building a foundation, ultimately, the decisions you make and the choices that you make are how you understand 
what you're founded on? What drives those decisions? When your faith is right, you trust God and you act and live according to His trust in every part of your life. You see, that's the key and that's what's missed so often. We need to know what to do with what we've learned and then, what, and then we have to do it. And this is something that Jesus is teaching about all the time. And all the way through Scripture, we see Jesus teaching about the application of His words. And we see Paul and Peter and other writers writing about the application of their words. And the struggle being that so many people hear it and then they don't do anything. They just say, oh, that's nice. And see, that's a big problem for a lot of church people, isn't it? You know, this is an interesting opportunity because you don't get to come to the building and the location to do church. You have to be the church where you are. And really, nobody's looking at you through the TV screen. You get to be the church. And right now, you have an opportunity to figure out where your foundation is in your life. You have an opportunity that maybe you didn't even realize you needed, but you have that right now. You know, for a lot of church people, what happens is, is that we are content as long as we're going through the material. Hey, we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks here at church, and isn't that great? We did the Sermon on the Mount. And Randall and Scott, they give these sermons, and boy, I learned stuff. I even downloaded the notes, and I took notes. I must be doing well in my spiritual walk. We think this way sometimes in church. Or I go to Sunday school, or I go to my city group, or some other Bible study, and we say, gosh, you know what? I've gone through the material. Yep, I've studied that book, and I've studied this book. I've studied that book, and I've done it. I even did the workbook, and I went through all this stuff. Boy, I must be spiritually strong. And then we do nothing with it. We go back to life the way it was before with a bunch of head knowledge. But when we make decisions, we're not looking to Christ for our finances, for our relationships, for the other decisions that we make in our life. We look to our own knowledge, what we think is going to work, what the culture says works. What I saw on television seems to work. And when we think about the stuff that we've learned and the material that we've gone through at church, sometimes we get emotional about it. We hear a song that we really like to sing and it reminds us of a hard time in our life and we get emotional about those things. But for whatever reason, it doesn't filter into the day-to-day part of our life. We don't build our church on doing the right things. We don't build our family on it or our worldview on it. Instead, we build it on some other foundation. And this is the problem. You know what happens eventually for church people? Is we get bored. Are you a little bored with church? You know who gets really bored? Our kids get really bored. They figure this out really quick, that we're hearing all this stuff at church and we hear this stuff from the pastor and we hear this thing from other people and we're not really doing it. Our kids see that in us. Mom and dad go to church and they teach these things, but they're not doing it. And you know what happens? We get bored and faith becomes about certain rules. And this is how we build a church that is really just a community center or a social club and it's really for us and having a good time and getting together with people. And then we start to do things a certain way and we think this is a certain way to do church and then maybe God will accept me more if I do church a certain way or if I act a certain way or if I show up all the time or mainly if I keep the rules better than somebody else. And then it's about wondering how close to breaking the rules I can get all of a sudden without actually breaking the rules. God, how close can I get to breaking the rules without actually sinning? How do I do that, Lord? How close can I get to that wall, Lord? And suddenly church becomes this religion And it gets absurd, and it's not faith at all. It doesn't look anything like what Jesus was teaching or what Paul is teaching or what Peter is teaching or what you see all throughout Scripture. And eventually, you know what happens is you stop going to church. Maybe you don't come at all, or maybe you just show up once in a while because it's the religious routine, or you do it every week because you get to see your friends, and that's really why you go. And you don't really pray. 
you say you pray, and maybe you pray before your meals, and you kind of have some rote prayers like that, but you don't really pray. If it's between you and God, you don't because you're bored. You don't really worship. You don't sing along, and you don't praise God on your own. You don't read the scriptures in order to praise God or worship God with your hands and feet as you do His will. You say that you do, and you tell other people, oh, I worship in my own way, but you really are just making up your own religion, your own kind of theology about how to go about things. And if you're scoffing at this right now, you know what? Sometimes that's a sign that God wants us to change where we're building our foundation. You know, when Jesus teaches, one of the things he does that happens a lot is people leave mad. Once in a while, I have people mad at me after a sermon. You know, I had a guy one time, I made a joke and I said, uh, we, we were landing on Mars. I think we'd landed the Mars rover on Mars or something like that. And I said, why to go to Mars when you can just go to El Centro? I thought that was funny. Well, I had a guy who worked for NASA chew me out afterward because he gave me all the reasons that we're going to Mars and all the things that we're going to invent and all the technology we're developing. He was in my face about this. We kind of missed the joke. I thought I was going to get yelled at because you live in El Centro and I'm just making a joke if you live in El Centro. So don't yell at me today. You can send me an email. You know, but Jesus would have people yell at him because he would challenge them to apply what he was teaching to their lives. You see, the teachers of the law in those days, much like the teachers today who teach the scriptures, they're just teaching for head knowledge. And people sit around and they go, oh yeah, that's how this works, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And maybe you sit around in a Bible study group and you say, well, what would it look like if we actually did this? And we go, oh gosh, that would be awesome. That's how it would look. That would be really great. And that's what people were doing in Jesus's day. But Jesus surprised people when he came out with authority and told them not just to understand what the word says, but how to live it out. And that really bugged people. People got really upset. And if you're finding yourself struggling with a lot of this stuff, you know what happens is for so many of us as we create a religious idea of our own making, and then what we do is we get real confident about our life. We get real confident about our theology, about our position, about our job, our education, our social status, our social life, maybe even our church and the way we do church, and then poof, COVID-19 or cancer or a car accident, or an earthquake, or something else that's completely beyond our control. And the storm comes and the winds blow and your house, your educational house, your relational house, your financial house, your physiological house, your psychological health house, your emotional house, it gets washed away. Maybe that's happening to you right now. I know it's happening to a lot of people. How do we avoid that? Well, know this. It's a scary story, but Jesus is offering a message of hope and a message of renewal, a message of rebuilding. And I want to share that with you just for a few minutes. The question for today is, how can I build a wise foundation of faith and apply Jesus' teaching in my everyday life? And as we look through this text, it's just a few verses, but we see some amazing things. We see that Jesus calls his followers to put his words into practice. He's speaking this to his followers. These are the people who are the people of the king. These are his people who he's talking to. And he's urging them, don't just listen to what I say, put these words into practice. And he says to do so is to be wise, but merely to listen and then not put it into practice is to be a fool. And in this today, we're gonna see the wisdom of the rock foundation, the foolishness of the sand foundation, and the hope of a rebuilt foundation. First, the wisdom of the rock foundation. Jesus, like I said, is giving this sermon to his people. 
And these people, they are seeking a righteousness that we don't already have on our own, but we get it through Christ. This is what the people know. If you've been following us through the series on the Sermon on the Mount, these are a great many themes that we've been talking about now for several weeks. He teaches about having a godly walk, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. He teaches about doing the work of ministry. You see, God's people are not just saved people who live a holy life and start going to church and doing a religious routine. No, we are to live our everyday life as a blessing to others. And Jesus is telling us how to do that and that this is the life. This is the life we are called to. We are not just saved, but we are sent. We are not just saved, but we are sent into a world who needs to know this hope. We are sent into the world, not just as Christians, but actually as priests as people who can minister to the people that God has placed in our life. We are sent to love others. We are not sent into a building and hope that people show up, or we're not sent to a building and hope that the pastor and the deacons and the elders can get everything right, because gosh, there's a lot of suffering. I hope they can get it all right. No, we're called into that ministry, each and every one of us, all of us. Every believer is sent to love and care for those that God has placed in their life and to present the gospel in word and in deed. This is our call. And see, if you're really doing this and making decisions in your life to respond to this in a practical way, you're building your house on a foundation that is Christ. If you're not, you're building it on some other foundation. We see in the Sermon on the Mount that we can do these things with integrity, that we aren't perfect, that we can humbly take the log out of our own eye, not just for our own benefit, but so that we can see clearly enough to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. We pray, we seek, we knock, we seek God to open the door to blessing. We do all these things. And we're not just people who pray and preach. It has to show itself on the way we treat other people. And so we love and we're sensitive to how we would like to be loved. We treat others as the way that we would like like to be treated. This is how we are actually to live. We learn in this sermon that the majority aren't going to follow this way of Jesus, that this is a narrow way that I'm talking about, that Jesus was talking about, and that it's a courageous way. It's the right way to live. We learn that the devil will raise up limitations, they'll raise up imitations and false teachers along the way, and there will be many hypocrites. People who say they do this, people who are right with you, but they don't really know the Lord and he doesn't know them. It's a scary passage. And eventually the floods will rise and the winds will come up and the house that you built will either stand or it won't. Reality is going to hit your house eventually. What is it built on? It all depends on its foundation as to whether or not it will stand. The hope here is that when we build our house on the rock, when we build it on Christ, our house is going to stand. And the way that this works is that when we come to Christ, it shows up in our life. When we embrace Him, it shows up in our life and how we think and how we consider others and in the decisions that we actually make. You build your foundation on Jesus because you believe that He is right. We say all the time that we want you to believe in Jesus. We do want you to believe in Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross, that He lived a perfect life on your behalf, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He rose again on the third day, that whoever believes in Him will not, have, will not perish but have everlasting life. But believing in Jesus means that you believe Jesus, that you believe Him when He says that you should love your enemies, that you believe Him when He says that to hate is the same as murdering your neighbor or to lust at somebody is the same as committing adultery, that you believe that that's true that you believe his teaching about prayer, that you believe his teaching about your finances, that you believe the scriptures and what they say about all these things. When you build your foundation on Jesus, it's because you believe him to be right. 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Scripturally, the wise man or the wise woman or the wise student or the wise worker or the, the wise child is the one who believes Jesus and obeys the Word of God. Doing this is the height of wisdom. It's what it means to actually be wise, to understand the, that the universe is created on a foundation and, and in a certain way that God built it and to trust Him when He says, this is how the universe works, do this. And so you might say to yourself, I don't really understand that. The culture doesn't go that way and maybe I've got a lot of pressure not to do that. But the wise person follows Jesus and builds his house on the rock. See, the thing is about rock is it doesn't shift all of a sudden. The culture shifts all the time. The culture shifts in, shifts in its morality. It shifts in its advice about medicine. It shifts in its advice about what to eat or what not to eat. It shifts all the time. God's Word doesn't shift. The way we live this life, the way salvation is attained by grace through faith, that doesn't shift. It stays the same. And when the floods come up, your house doesn't fall. When you believe Jesus, you have this foundation. When you apply these truths in your life, your foundation is solid so that no matter what happens to all of these other things in your life, you're right with Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes about this and he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will still be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. If you want a life built on a firm foundation, it's Jesus and His Word. That's where you build it. He's the foundation. You can't change it. You can create some other foundation if you want to, and you can go through that. But when the storms come, it's going to fall. Paul says you have to have a foundation that is Christ and to build your house there. The word day here is capitalized. It's capitalized because it refers to judgment day. It's hard to translate that in English. So the writers usually just capitalize it or put it in italics because they want to communicate that it means a specific day. It's talking about judgment day. You see, this entire sermon was about what to do as followers of Jesus, not just what to believe. And he ends it talking about judgment. Last week, talking about people who cry out, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things in religion. Don't you know us? And he says, get away from me. I don't know you. And the first word in our passage today is therefore. You see, when the waters rise and the winds start to blow, people hearing this at the time, they would have understood that what he's talking about is judgment and the reality of our circumstances coming to bear. And will the things that we're doing in life stand up to that? Are the things that we are building our life on resistant to anything that this physical world is going to throw at them? If your house is built on Jesus, if you're living your life doing the things that Jesus says, then your foundation is going to make sure that your house is secure. You see, Jesus always taught in this applicable way. You see, because knowing things and having an academic sense of the Scriptures or what Jesus taught 
you know, it doesn't make any difference if you don't actually do them. It's just kind of this funny thing. We don't See, we're not doing things to earn God's favor. It's important that we recognize that. We already have God's favor. That's why He sent us His Son to die in our place, and we get credit for what Jesus accomplished. And we're not doing these good things so that we can go to heaven. We already have that through faith in Jesus Christ. What Jesus is teaching about is living our life with faith in God. In verse 24 of Matthew 7, He says, Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. You see, this is wisdom. This is what Jesus is always teaching about, not just hearing, but applying what you hear. If you want to see God show up in your world, if you really want to see God in every part of your life, then apply what you hear. Forgive as He teaches you to forgive. Pray like He teaches you to pray. Handle your money like He says. Love your neighbor like He says. Actually doing it. These are the things that He's been teaching, and He says, really, do this. It's not just about hearing him speak. And this is what we do so often is we get into a place where we rate our spirituality based upon whether or not we went to church or we went to confession or we went to mass or we went to Bible study, we went to our Sunday school class. And God, if I promise to get back to church, uh, will you do this for me? And we have this sort of strange view that's not about Jesus's teaching. And we think that showing up and participating is what makes a difference just because we're there and we take notes and we index things and we have this great knowledge. But if you don't do anything with that teaching, if it doesn't get into the marrow of your life, it won't make any difference. If you want to have confidence in your faith, you have to do and follow the things that you've been heard. This is called wisdom. You build your house on the rock that is Christ. You know, the best testimonies that we hear from people is when they talk about what happened when they decided to go do it? What happened when I began to apply this stuff in my life? Suddenly I found out that God does, shows up all over the place in my life. When I decided to pray every day, I suddenly started to realize, you know what? God answers prayer. So I decided to pray more. When I decided to be generous, I found out that God takes care of me even more than I ever thought. Why was I holding on to all of my stuff? And we get these great testimonies, not just of even the things that Jesus specifically teaches, but in God's word all the way through. Many of us have struggled with debt in our life. You know, the Bible t says something very clear, that the debtor is slave to the lender. And that is absolutely true. A lot of us are feeling that right, right now. We're not in a place right now where that's our problem, but I have had that problem before. I've been where maybe many of you are with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And it was a tremendous burden. And the idea of Scripture that just says, hey, you are a slave to the lender, that's true. And the best place I'm at now is I worked hard and I paid that off and by the grace of God have been able to do that. And I don't have that going on. You can do that, by the way. That's why we offer the Dave Ramsey class. That's why there are resources for that. But it all comes down to Scripture. Scripture already teaches that. And if I would have believed that from the outset, if my life would have actually reflected and the decisions that I made reflected what is taught in the Scriptures, I would have been in a better place. This is how it works. You see, when we begin to apply this stuff, God comes alive not just in our finances, but in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids, in our relationship with our friends, and our education, in all parts of our life. And then when we go through a tragedy, a difficult time like this, God's right there. We understand and have confidence that we're going to get through this, that we can believe Jesus, that we don't have to worry because He's going to take care of us tomorrow, and our faith is not placed in the stuff that we own, in the stuff that we are talented in. It's in Jesus. This is an act of faith, to do things simply because Jesus says to do it, not because it fits the culture or because I think it's going to benefit me in some other way, 
or not to earn some kind of religious brownie points, but because I trust God to be right. Do you trust God to be right? Do you not just believe in God, but believe God? Do you believe His Word? This is where the confidence of your faith is in answering that question. You will see your faith grow because you discover that God then is in every part of your life, and it will stand through any storm. But to not do what Jesus says, to hear it and not do anything, is to build a foundation on a sand foundation. Matthew 7, 26, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In verse 26, where he says, everyone who hears. You know what? That's everyone who shows up for church. That's everyone who shows up right now. It's everyone who goes to seminars, who goes to Bible studies, who reads their Bible and reads other books about the Bible. That's everybody who hears. But the fool is the one who doesn't put any of it into practice. You can have 100% attendance and be a fool. You can build a house, a moral home, a relational home, a financial home, a dating home, and it can be an absolute disaster if you built it on the sand, if you built it on whatever you think your own wisdom is and you've ignored the things that you've learned from the Lord. And so often we say, God, how can you let this happen to me? I never miss church. That's not it. That's not what our faith is about. It's about not doing something with what we've heard. It's about not trusting Him with the promises that He makes. When we apply what we've been taught, it allows us to establish our house on a firm foundation. And that's true for people, individuals. It's also true for entire nations. Today's Palm Sunday, and uh, it's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem just a few days before His crucifixion. And He rode in in what was called the Triumphal Entry. And the triumphal entry is not really a biblical term. It's something that the Romans did. The Caesars, when they would conquer, and it came, they got this tradition from the Greeks, they would ride into town and there would be these great parades. And usually the, the conquering hero would be on a big horse. Alexander the Great had Bucephalus, great name for a horse. And he'd ride in on this great horse and there'd be people waving the branches and laying down their coats. And it was just this great scene. Jesus does something similar, except that he's riding in on a colt in this humble you know, animal. No military commander, no political captain would have ridden in on that kind of an animal. It's a different kind of triumphal entry. It's because his triumph is over something else. His triumph is over sin. His triumph is going to be over death. And he is riding into Jerusalem to fulfill the will of God and become the savior of the world. But people come out and they start cheering and they're waving the branches and they're shouting Hosanna and they're excited about Jesus being there. But many of those people, maybe most of those people, thought that he was there for a political reason. They thought that he was going to overthrow Rome. They thought that he was going to help them regain Israel's national sovereignty. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 19. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, 
but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's interesting here because this is a day of celebration and people are chanting Hosanna, and yet Jesus is weeping. The word there says that he wept out loud. It wasn't just a tear coming down his face, that he was wailing. So people would have seen this. And it wasn't a happy cry. It was a sad cry. It was a cry of grieving. Why? Because Jesus knew that these people had the wrong foundation, that they had built an entire nation on the wrong thing. They had read the Word of God. They had heard the prophets. They had read the books of Moses, and they had kept the law in different ways. But they thought that's what it was about. They thought it was only about them and not the whole world. They didn't realize that there was a spiritual connection, all this stuff. They thought he was going to get rid of Rome. Instead, he was going to do something else. And they built a house and an entire society on a wrong premise of who the Messiah would be. They were all about teaching and understanding, but they were not about doing. They weren't really too keen on loving their neighbor, especially if their neighbor was a different race. And they weren't really too keen on loving their enemies. That was something that nobody had heard of until Jesus brought it up. And they used the law as a way to place themselves over other people and to earn favor with God. And they would follow this rabbi over here who might teach the law this way, and they liked that better, and they would say, I'm better than you guys because your rabbi's not so good over there. And that rabbi would say, oh yeah, let me show you this. And they competed against each other in how to be more righteous with the law instead of humbling their heart and understanding the spirit of the law that was given to them. Jesus cries because he understands that this is what's on their heart. And they didn't understand that this day should have been a, grave, a day of great joy because their sins are going to be forgiven, because the sacrificial system is about to be fulfilled in Him, because the laws that they've been keeping have all been pointing to Him and this moment of what He's going to do. And they didn't get it. And He's wailing and crying. He knows that the waters are going to rise and the winds are going to blow and the house of Jerusalem is not going to stand. It's going to destroy the house. Why? Because it was built in the wrong foundation. Incidentally, it's interesting here that Jesus says very specifically, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Israel, Jerusalem, was destroyed in A.D. 70. It was destroyed uh, by Captain Titus, who would later become the emperor of Rome. And Josephus, a Roman historian, wrote about this and what happened. And the interesting thing is he records the siege of Jerusalem this way. And he says that Titus became frustrated because the people of Jerusalem at first put up a big fight. And it was a very good fight. So what he did was he built an embankment around the entire city. It was about five miles long, just walled them in. And the whole idea was to create famine. They couldn't get any supplies. They couldn't get any food. They couldn't get any toilet paper. They couldn't get anything at all there. The stores became empty. The people began to starve. Just as Jesus said, there would be an embankment around the whole city. And then Caesar ordered Titus to go into the town and level it, except for a couple of towers that he wanted to use for troop garrisons and the Western Wall, which is still there today, and it was there to serve as a monument to Rome's power. He said, leave that. And he said, level everything else, turn over every stone. And history records that's exactly what happened. It's an amazing prophecy that what Jesus says right here because to the Word, this is what would happen just a couple of decades later. The foundation of all of Jerusalem, all of Israel would be gone until 1948. 
And that comes to the end of the story. You see, when we merely hear and do not do, when we don't understand the spirit of the law that is given, when we just hear Jesus' words and we don't apply them and we build on something else, something we would, for whatever reason, rather it be, destruction is coming our way. You know, an example would be, it's one thing to believe in nutrition, but it's a whole other thing to actually eat healthy. You know, you can feel better because you read a book about nutritious eating and you can learn how to cook and you can go on Pinterest and download all these healthy recipes and put them all together. But if you don't actually cook in a healthy way, then it doesn't do you any good to have that knowledge. Or maybe exercise is your thing. You can believe in exercise. You can buy a bunch of equipment. You can buy training videos. You can get a gym membership where they charge you every month. And you can go in there and you can talk to the personal trainer and you can put a schedule together and a calendar. But if you don't actually do it, it doesn't do you any good. It's made you some kind of academic expert on it and people coming over to your house and say, tell me about exercise and you can tell them all about exercise while you sit there eating your Peeps and your Cadbury cream eggs on the couch. Growing your quarantine 15 that we're all struggling with a little bit. You see the difference? If you don't actually do something with the knowledge you have, it doesn't do you any good. Jesus finishes up his sermon, this great sermon on the mount, with this tragedy story about a house falling with a great crash. That's the end of the sermon. That's how it goes. Jesus says, uh, hey, everybody, thanks for staying up and listening, but if you don't, this won't do you any good if you don't do what I said. I'm out. That's how he ends it. But we are not without hope. There is a hope of a rebuilt foundation. Matthew 7, 28, at the end, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Their teachers of the law, as I said before, taught based on just having more knowledge, 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 more and more. But Jesus says that's not enough. And He taught with authority. He taught as the master builder himself. He taught as one who said, no, this is the way it is. And that's not how people were amazed at this teaching. And Jesus says, you forgive, you go the second mile, you give generously. And when you do, that's an act of faith and it will reflect the glory of God. And when you do what somebody asks you to do, even though it, when, when, when you do what Jesus asks you to do, even though it doesn't make any sense, do it anyway. That's faith. I have so much faith. <clears throat> when you have so much faith, it means that you do what Jesus says even though you might have cultural advice to do something else, even if in your head you're saying, I think I should do something else. But if you're clear in what Jesus says, you do it anyway. And your hope is this. Jesus does know what he's talking about. The history is going to a certain place and it's all about Jesus, that he is the creator of the universe. He is the master builder. And what he says is actually true. And the hope is this, that there is grace and renewal and you might be sitting there thinking, man, I've built my house in the wrong place. And right now I've lost my job and I'm concerned about my health and I'm concerned about my family and I'm, I don't even know about my education. The world has changed all of a sudden. There is hope for you. See, here's your hope. Jesus knows where history goes. History is going somewhere. It's not cyclical. It has an ending point. And here's where it's going. The book of Revelation, at the very end, Revelation chapter 21, it says, I saw a holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is where history is going in a new Jerusalem, a new restored Jerusalem. You know what's really interesting is this. Many of the same people who cheered Jesus on Palm Sunday for the wrong reason. A few days later, many of those same people chanted, crucify him, crucify him. But just a few weeks after that, on Pentecost, when Peter preached, a lot of those same people who had seen that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave turned their hearts to Christ and they were renewed. Those same people were forgiven. Those same people got grace. Those same people got mission and purpose in this life, a new foundation, and that foundation was Christ. And you can have that too. You see, if you're worried that your foundation has been in the wrong place, or maybe you've discovered that this morning, or you've discovered that in the last four weeks, Jesus Christ is a carpenter. He's a builder. And He will build you a new foundation where you can build your new house right there, and it will be solid for eternity. And at the very end of time, you will be there on the right side where there is no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, no more social distancing, no more running out of stuff. Everything is provided for you and God himself will wipe away your last tear. This is called good news. This is called gospel. This is what Jesus does for you. You see, you can have a foundation that's not built on your own smarts or your own deeds, but on the master builder himself. He's asking you to build on him. How do you do it? You know, there's an interesting line in a similar passage in the book of Luke. It goes like this, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck and the house could not shake it because it was well built. Notice it says here that he dug down deep. Sometimes we have to dig deep. I would say most of the time we have to dig deep to find that rock because there is clutter. There's clutter because we've had the wrong idea about church. There's clutter because we are so used to pleasing God simply by showing up that we haven't applied Jesus' stuff in our life. We just have to get past that mindset. There's so much clutter in the culture that sometimes we have to dig past to find Jesus. Culture, sin, wrong ideas about church and Christianity. But when you act, when you have renewal, you dig deep and you find that rock that is Christ and you build there. And you know what you find? You find peace and you find security and you find grace and you find forgiveness and nothing will ever happen that will take that away. This is where you have that confidence that we talked about in the beginning. The confidence to go through this crisis or any crisis, not to ignore it, not to feel the, you know, not, we're not saying you don't feel grief, grief in those things, but to have the confidence that God's will for your life has not changed, that His promises for you cannot be taken away, that you are loved, and your promise of everlasting life in the new heaven and new earth is secure forever. You see, for the wise builder, the rain came down and yet the house didn't fall. It had its foundation on Jesus, not because they knew about construction, it's because they just did the right thing because they followed Jesus. They listened and they obeyed. They acquired the information and then they did something with it. They applied it. If you want your life to reflect like someone who built their life on a solid foundation, do what Jesus says.
not to earn favor with God, not to earn a way into heaven. You show up in faith. You express faith and trust in his faithfulness. And you dig deep. Dig deep into the word of God. Learn it and then do what it says. Examine yourself rather than working to judge others. Sacrifice your abundance for people in need. Love those who would harm you and talk bad about you and don't return their hatred or bad talk. You'll find that there is a great life here, a meaningful life when Jesus is your foundation and you do what he says. You want to have that faith? Then do these things. Live to serve others. Realize that you are sent into a world who needs to hear this. Some takeaways for today. What can we apply to our lives? Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Is the foundation of your life built on the rock or the sand? Where's your foundation built? See, now is a great time to take a look at that foundation. Look at your friends, look at your family, look at what you do, and ask yourself this question. And if you're finding that it's not built on the rock or not solidly on the rock, or maybe some of it's on the sand, you've got a room over here on the sand and then maybe there's part on the rock, something over here. What distractions in your life are keeping you from fully building your foundation on God's word? Is it fear? Is it sin that you don't want to give up? Something that you can do is pray. And say this prayer today. You can pray through the Psalms. In Psalm 51, 10 through 12, the psalmist writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It has always been the way to find renewal, to ask God to create in us a pure heart, to reveal our motives, to reveal where we have built the wrong foundation. Ask God to do that. It's totally safe and right to do that because he loves you. He's sitting on a throne of grace. Take your stuff to him and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Use this opportunity to change. What are some ways you can apply Jesus' teaching right now? It's another decision to make. Is not just hear this message today, but do something practical for others. Do something practical to love your neighbor. You hear me talk a lot about oikos. Oikos is a Greek word for house and a household, and it refers to your relational world. Your relational world might have changed in the last couple of weeks. It's certainly the people in your house, but now there might be other people that you interact with on a regular basis. Who are these people? And are you loving them? Are you meeting their needs? They're your coworkers, your classmates, your next door neighbors? You know, this is a great opportunity to meet your neighbor. We've got some resources that will help you love them. We have resources even as a church that you can offer, that you can be a part of to help them actually reach out and say, how can I be with you? How can I pray for you? Would you? Can I pray for you? Would you join me online in a prayer meeting on Wednesday? Can I go to the store and get you some groceries? Do you need me to get medicine? Maybe I can help you with your computer so that you can have interaction. Maybe I can set up a Zoom call between you and your family or you and your friends that you're missing so badly right now. There are so many things that you could be doing to help the people in your life and love them the way Jesus would. See, that's practical. This is Jesus saying, hey, you should love your enemies and then go do it. Actually love your enemies. No, I mean it. Or love your, your enemies. Love your, your friends and neighbors. Some of them might be your enemies. I and mean, that's part of it. You might have an oikos is what I like to call it. Everybody just bugs you. Love them. Love those people. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your kids in a new way. Serve them. Clean the house. Do the chores. Help with the meals. Help with the work environment if you're all working. Come up with great ideas and serve and give. There are so many ways to do that. Basically, you be a disciple of Jesus in your walk 
and make disciples in the process. When you do that, you're building your house on the right foundation. And whatever the circumstances are, you can find joy and peace and grace in them. And you will build your house on the right foundation that is the rock of Jesus Christ. I hope this has been helpful for you. Would you pray with me for just a moment? God, I thank you for our time together today. And I pray that as we consider these things, that we would not do what you just warned us not to do and just listen and say, oh, that's good stuff, and then not make any changes. I pray that this weird period of time that we have, this crisis that we are in, God, I pray that you would use this time in each one of us, in our church, in our families, to realize that you have sent each one of us into a world that needs you, into a world that is barreling toward a place where it will end, where history will end, and where your word is going to come true, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. God, today, if we proclaim you as Lord, help us to do what you say, to apply the things that we learn from your teaching. And God, for anybody who is tuning in today, who is heartbroken, who is sad, who is sick, who has lost a loved one or scared that they might, who has lost a job or afraid that they might, God, we pray for them. We pray that they would recognize that your family is open for them to join, that they can be adopted in just by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, believing Him, believing that His words are true, believing that 2,000 years ago He rode into Jerusalem to die for their sins, to make it possible for all people who would believe, including them, to have everlasting life by believing in Jesus and to give them a mission and a purpose in this life. I pray for everybody listening that they would reach out if they need help and that they would help others and seek to find ways to serve one another, glorifying you in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.